So we'll be looking together at Lord's Day 32 of the Catechism. We want to read from God's Word in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. So Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10, and let's pay careful attention for this is God's own Word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, Well, we know that we are considering this evening a part of the catechism that begins the gratitude section. Um, We know one of the first things I think we learn as kids uh, when we study the catechism, or maybe that was the first thing in coming to the Reformed faith that you learned is the basic outline of the catechism. uh, That's guilt, grace, and gratitude. Um, Or if you prefer the letter S, you can think of sin and salvation and service. Um, we, we have that threefold outline, and we so often see that outline from Scripture. Uh, we know that the catechism and employing that outline is really employing the outline of the book of Romans. Uh, that's generally how the book of Romans unfolds. But that's also the way Paul likes to argue. Maybe you saw that same argument being made in the passage we just read. Um, it begins with a pretty dire picture of who we once were, um, children of wrath by nature, Um, under the prince of the power of the air, under the dominion of the devil. Um, It doesn't get much worse in terms of what the situation is. The guilt that God's people are involved in is very clear there. Um, The guilt is made manifest in those verses, but we have, of course, that turn in Scripture that we so love in verse 4, but God, in spite of who we were, because of who we were, sent his son to save us. Um, And Paul makes the point several times, doesn't he? By grace, you've been saved. Um, And then the the passage you might have noticed ends with a reminder of what we've been saved for. We need to understand that God's people, as God's people, what we've been saved from. We've been saved from our sins, from the condemnation that sin brings on us, from the wrath of God, but we also need to understand what we've been saved for. And Paul makes it very clear what we've been saved for in this passage, doesn't he? 
Where does this passage end in chapter 2? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, We've been saved for something. We've been saved to show good works, to show forth our gratitude to God with the lives he's given us. We've been brought back to life that we might live the kinds of lives we were supposed to live before the fall. Um, Doing good things, glorifying God in what we've done. And in a sense, the glory is all the richer for God having delivered us from the darkness we were in and raised us up to newness of life. We've been saved for good works. And so an important part of our course of instruction, we might say in the scriptures, to know everything that God has taught us is not just to know how we're saved, but what we're to do with the salvation we've been given. How we are to live in response to what God has done. And that's the section of the catechism that we're beginning tonight, the section on gratitude. How we're to show that thanks to God for the great salvation that he has won for us in Jesus Christ. Um, And that section on gratitude begins with a very important question. Why must we do good works? Why must we do good works? Um, If if you have friends that aren't Calvinists or aren't Reformed, uh, maybe that's one of the questions they always want to ask you. Um, So let me get this straight. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ's work alone, for his glory alone, then what do you have to do? It sounds like God's done everything for you. And we would say, amen. God has done everything for us. But then they would say, now, but wait a minute, doesn't God call us to live holy lives? And we would say, amen. We're called to live holy lives. Um, And sometimes people ask the question, but if God does all the saving, then what role does your good work have in your salvation? Um, And we want to, of course, affirm that good works do have a place in God's saving plan. We just know that it's important to understand what place they have in God's saving plan. We have to understand where they function, how they function in the life of a Christian so that we don't get things wrong. Um, Because we need to understand very clearly, don't we, that our good works have no role to play in our justification. They have no role to play in our right standing before God. That depends entirely on Christ's work. Um, And so they play no role in how we become right with God. But once we are right with God, they have a very important role to play. Because God is not just the God who saves us from our guilt by the blood of his Son. We have a God who saves us from the misery and the pollution into which we've plunged ourselves. Um, I used this picture with our pre-profession class this morning, um, and I warned them that I was giving them something of a spoiler alert that they'd hear again. So, so sorry that some of you are hearing this again tonight. Um, but I said, you know, if you, if you take a pig out of a pigsty and the pig is filthy and you, you just pull him out of the pigsty, that doesn't make the pig clean, right? He's no longer in the sty. He might, can't roll around in the filth anymore, but that doesn't make him clean. To make him clean, you have to clean off the filth. 
Um, I was not calling my pre-profession of faith pigs. I wanted to make that very clear with them. Um, I'm not Martin Luther, after all. I don't call my people pigs on a regular basis. Um, but what it reminds us of is we, we need to be saved from the guilt But God is not only a God who redeems his people and saves them from their guilt, he's a God who renews his people after the image of his son. He doesn't leave us in the condition he finds us, he cleans us up. He not only saves us from the guilt and the wrath of God, he conforms us to the image of his son. Um, We always want to tell people, you can come to Jesus as you are. But expect when you come to him, he's not going to leave you as you are. He's going to change you. And that salvation is not just about redemption. It is about that, but it's not just about that. It's also about renewal. That's the beauty of what question 86 asks, where question 86 starts. Why do we do good works? Because those that God redeems... He also renews. God is not finished with you just by buying you back out of the slavery into which you plunge yourself. He's not done with you until he shapes you into the image of his son. That those God redeems, he also renews. And in that work of renewal, good works play a very important part. They are the expression of that renewing work that God is doing with his people. And so we need to understand good works. We need to understand what role they play and how we are to think of them as Christians. And hopefully we'll do that tonight looking both at God's word and at the catechism. And so we want to think together, why must we do good works? Well, we must do them because good works are the fruit of God's saving work in us. He means to produce good work in us. That's what Paul said. Right? We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Um, so we need to understand that. And we have to understand that there is no such thing as a salvation that exists without good works. Now, I'm going to explain that to make sure as a good reform minister we don't get that wrong. Um, But that's true. There is no such thing as salvation that does not produce good works. Um, We want to think about that from Scripture as well. So why must we do good works? Where does question 86 begin? It begins with a very important question. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, then why should we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also renewing us by his Spirit, into his image. We are being, we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do the things that Jesus did. We are being remade into his image. We are being renewed after that image. Um, it, it's better news than we're just being renewed after Adam's image. Right? We were created in the image of God, but we're being recreated in the image of Christ. Uh, the, the perfect human being who did exactly what God wanted him to do, always did the things that were pleasing to the Father. So much so that on more than one occasion, that, that wonderful voice was heard from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Don't we all desire to hear God say that of us? 
This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Um, We want to show that forth in our lives. And God's renewing work by his spirit is how that's accomplished. That's the first piece of good news that comes to us, even in the gratitude section, that's going to get down to what we are to do. We're reminded right in the beginning of it that we don't renew ourselves. And we can't fall into that trap of thinking as Christians, that God does the redeeming and then we have to work to do the renewing. Uh, No, we're reminded God does the redeeming and God does the renewing. Christ came to redeem his people, and the Father and the Son sent the Spirit to renew his people. And that's good news. Um, We don't have to renew ourselves. We're being renewed by the Spirit of Christ. But the Spirit of Christ works by means. Um, And so that renewal comes in the form of doing good works. Um, Why do we do good works? Well, it's part of God's renewing plan in us. The Spirit works by means to produce good work in us so that those good works serve a function in our lives. Um, And there there are four really important aspects of the function that good works serve in the life of God's people that are brought out in this question. Um, Why do we do good works? Because we're being renewed, and part of that renewal consists of doing the things that please God. Um, and what are, the, what are the aspects of good works that were, are particularly highlighted for us? Well, first, it's the way we show to God that we're thankful for the salvation that he's won for us, right? So that with our whole lives, we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits, For for Christians not to do the things that please God is an act of tremendous ingratitude for all that God has done for us. Um, And that's why some people in in service of God have tried to argue duty and press duty on God's people, that your duty to do what's pleasing to God is really going to motivate you to do good. And probably we've all suffered under that kind of teaching or preaching at one point or another in our lives because people are very well-meaning and they want to see lives that are committed to God and that do the things that God wants to see. What they don't realize is that duty is not a powerful motivator. It's certainly not as powerful a motivator as gratitude is. Uh, and, And that's, I think, the real treasure of the Reformed faith, that it takes God's word seriously and says, you know, if we really understand our salvation, good works will flow as a product of our gratitude. You don't need to hammer people with duty. We do have a duty. And the time sometimes to hammer people with duty is when they're not walking according to God. They need to be reminded the law still should drive them to repentance and faith. But that's not the only way you use it. Right. Every tool has an appropriate use and a use that's not very good to use it for. Right? A hammer is a really good thing for driving a nail. A hammer is not a good thing for driving a screw. Um, now, I have incompetent people in my life who've tried to do both, um, and you don't want to have to try to deal with the screw after someone's tried to hammer it in. 
um, and maybe you've experienced that, someone who's used the wrong tool. We need to use, be sure we use the right tool. But what scripture reminds us over and over again is if you are filled with the sense of what Christ has done for you, what God has done for you in loving you before the foundation of the world, in sending his son into the world to save you from your sins, in providing you everything you need to be saved because you could do none of it. And he took pity on you, looking at you as lost and alone in the dark, unable to save yourself. And he came to you in that condition and said, you can do nothing for yourself. Therefore, I will do everything for you. Even when we were crying out, I hate you. If that won't motivate someone to do what is pleasing to God, nothing will. Nothing motivates like gratitude. And that's why if we want to produce Christian lives in people, we want to continue to share the gospel. The good news of what God has done in Christ, the greatness of the love that God has for us, so that we're made more to feel that our sin is at its core in gratitude. How can I act in such an unloving way to the God who's loved me so well? Um, We want to do good works because we know that God loves them. Why did Jesus do good works when he lived in the world? Because he knew his Father loved them. It was his Father's smile that was worth it to him more than anything else. And, and you, know, you know what that's like. You know what that's like to, to do that for someone. When, when there's something you know that needs doing and you think to yourself, I'm going to do it. They didn't ask me to do it. I'm just going to do it because I know when they get home and they see that I did this thing for them, they're gonna be, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make their day. And I love them and I want to I see them happy. I'm, I'm excited to see what they're going to be like when they come home and see that this is done. Right? That's the kind of thing we want to do for the Lord. We know how happy it makes him. And we know how much we have to be thankful for. We know how great our salvation is. And so what is the primary motivation to do good works? It's our way of saying thank you to God for what you've done for me. Um, that, that's the first aspect. With our whole lives that we might show that we're thankful to God that we see this life that's been redeemed and recreated in the image of his son as his and that we offered as a living sacrifice to him. That's how Paul teaches us to think of our lives in Romans 12. Uh, Romans 12, we're well into the gratitude section of Romans, we might say. And Paul says, appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're to think of our lives as sacrifices of gratitude to God in view of God's mercies to present ourselves to him. Gratitude is what is to motivate the lives of thanksgiving to God's people. And not just so that we can show that we're grateful to God, but also so that we can glorify God in what we do. Right? So we do good work so that with our whole lives we may show that we're thankful to God uh, for his benefits and that he might be praised through us. <clears throat> we know that when we do the things that are pleasing to him in the world, before our neighbors, to our neighbors, we know that God is pleased, that God is glorified 
through these things, that glory redounds to his name when we do the things that are pleasing to him. When we make it known in the world that the reason we live the way we live is because we have a God whose name is glorious, that he has empowered us, that he has created us in Christ Jesus to do these things, that the things we do in his service are not really at all for our glory, and that we always want to say with the psalmist in Psalm 115, not unto us, not unto us, but to your name be glory given. And we know from Scripture that when we do the things that are right, the things that are good, the things that are pleasing to God, it glorifies his name. Right? That's the point that's made in, in Matthew 5.16 in the Sermon on the Mount. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? We want to say thank you and we want him to receive all the glory. We want him to be glorified. We want him to be praised. Because we know that whatever we produce is his anyway. Right? We, were, we were created in Christ to do these things that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? Even the things we do, he had to prepare before us and help us to walk through them by his spirit. So they don't belong to us, they belong to him and they bring praise to his name. Um, that's what motivated the Lord Jesus Christ in everything he did. To glorify his father. That was his prayer Father, glorify your name. And on account of Christ's faithfulness, we hear, I have glorified it. Um, that was his confidence that he had glorified his Father. That was his desire. And that's what we should want to do. We do good works to show God that we're thankful, and we do good works to give God glory. Um, there's that Godward focus of everything we do in doing good works. But what we're also reminded of in a very important sense is that our good works have a real benefit for us. Right? We don't, we don't do our good works with a selfish motive in mind, but we do accrue a benefit from doing good works to ourselves. Good works are to us a huge help in assuring us of our faith. Um, that's a really interesting thing that the, that the catechism goes on to say. Good works show our gratitude to God. They give God glory, but there's something more that they do. Um, and further, that we may be assured of our faith by its fruit. Why do you do good works? Well, one reason we do them is so that we might be assured of our faith. We might be assured that our faith is genuine. Now, are you persuaded by that? Do you say, you know, when I really need assurance, the thing I do is I look to my good work. My good work is what really assures me. Um, we might say, I don't, I don't like this part of the catechism. Can we go on to the next one? This, this is just missing me entirely. My good works are not a source of assurance for me. Um, I don't know what they're talking about here. Um, and I think this is a crucial thing for us to understand. I think this is absolutely true. Uh, in the way that the catechism is explaining this from Scripture, um, and in the way we should understand it. We often are discouraged by our good works because they're not better. 
because they're not more. And maybe we even have, have had times in our lives where we've doubted where we stand as Christians because we think to ourselves, wouldn't a Christian be doing better than this? Um, maybe you don't say it to other people and maybe you, you feel like you've got them fooled, but in you know, those quiet moments of yourself, you say, well, shouldn't a Christian be better than this? Um, my good work is a source of frustration, not a source of confidence. But w- what is the catechism saying? What does God's word say about good work? Good work testifies that there's a true faith. Good works testify that there is a root of true faith, and those good works are the fruit of that root. Um, Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 17 and 18. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Um, Now, so often we've heard that text taken and then pointed at you and said, now, are you a healthy tree? Is Is that what God's doing here in our Lord Jesus Christ? Is that what he's saying to us? No, he's using a simple agricultural metaphor to make a point. And he's saying, you know, you know how you know you have an apple tree? Apples grow on it. Write that down. Um, you, know how you, know have an, you know how you know you have an orange tree? Oranges grow on it. And that's what Jesus is saying. You know how you have a healthy tree? Healthy things grow on it. You know when you have a diseased tree? Nothing good grows on it. He's not pointing the finger and saying, are you a healthy tree? He's explaining how things work much like he does in John 15. In verse 5, when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, what do people do? They take it and go, are you bearing much fruit? That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, if you're grafted to me, you can't but bear good fruit. That's just the way it works. Good trees bear good fruit. Apple trees bear apples. Orange trees bear oranges. That's just the way it works. We know that. And so Christians bear fruit. They do good works. They bear the fruit of the Spirit. It's evident in their lives. Now we know some fruit trees bear more fruit than others. Some fruit trees bear better fruit than others. But because an apple tree has small apples, you don't begin to ask, is it really an apple tree? Right? Part of the Christian life is we want to cultivate better fruit. We want to see the fruit be bigger and better. And why? Because we're thankful to God and we know that he's glorified. It's not for our sakes that we want that to be bigger and better, But what God's word says to us is if there's fruit in your life, even if it's not the fruit you want in your life, the fruit that's in your life shows you are a healthy tree. You maybe aren't as far along as you want to be. And guess what? We'll get later in the catechism and find out that the holiest of us makes only a small beginning in this life. Paul says, we'll say later in Philippians, I want you to be very clear. I have not yet attained all these things. 
But what God's word assures us of is that healthy trees bear healthy fruit. You know that you are a Christian if you are bearing good fruit. Some good fruit is proof of a true and vital faith. Because God's word also tells us if you're not a true Christian, there is no good work. Right? James comes along and says, if you try to talk to me about faith and no work, you're talking about an unhealthy tree. You're talking about a dead tree. Um, and so what God's word comes along to us and says, it may not be the fruit you want to see. And I've talked to struggling Christians plenty of times. And I just walk through their lives and say, is there no love? Is there no joy? Is there no peace? Is there no kindness? Is there no gentleness? Is there no self-control? You know the ones I've missed. If, you, if there's none of it, then maybe you should be worried. Um, but if it's not as big as you want it to be, that shows you're a Christian. <laughs> because Christians want their lives to be bigger and better for God's sake because they know it glorifies him. And so the catechism really helpfully tells us if you're bearing some fruit, it should be a real encouragement to you that there's a real faith at the root of your life. And that is what good works continue to help us to do, is to be assured of our faith by its fruit. I realize I changed it a little on you. It's not our good works that assure us. It's our good works that assure us of faith. Assure us that we do have faith. It's down there under the dirt where we can't see it. There are roots there producing good fruit. And so actually when we do good works and when we pursue doing good works, it has an assuring purpose in our lives. It helps to assure us more and more that we are good trees and we are bearing good fruit and should encourage us to pray to the Spirit to help us more and more to bear even better fruit for God's glory. So we get assured of our faith by its fruit. And then there's one more aspect of this that we are called upon to think about. Um, finally, we do good works, not just for God, not just because of the benefit they have for us, but we do good works for our neighbors. We do good work for our neighbors. Particularly that our neighbors might be won over to Christ. Um, isn't that a beautiful way of putting that? That our, by our godly living, our neighbors might be won over to Christ. Um, you know, sometimes we're critical of, you know, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Um, probably no reform minister really likes hearing that, not just because that puts us out of a job, um, but also because we know that it's by the hearing that faith is created. Um, but there is a point there, right? There is an evangelistic aspect to our godly living. Particularly, as Paul points, pointed out to us when we went through Philippians to talk about we're living in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, in the midst of darkness. If you don't believe me, go home and watch the 11 o'clock news tonight. Right? We live in a world where there are hurricanes bearing down, and we certainly want to be in prayer for those who are threatened. 
Um, we live in a world of shootings and violence and hate and all kinds of things, and our world is filled with that, and we have a, a, a great 24-hour news cycle on a bunch of channels where we can watch nothing but human misery all the time. And what do Christians offer by the way that we live? We give testimony to a better world. Right? A, a world in which there isn't just 24-7 difficulty being pictured to us. Um, but a world where there exists love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Right? When you, when you go into social media and everybody's at each other's throats and Twitter is strange, as I heard one person say, Twitter is strangers telling you you're the worst. Facebook is friends telling you you're the worst. Um, but we're, you know, what a change it is to go from that and to go to a place where people live at peace. And they're not despairing at the state of the world, but they're actually filled with joy. And they don't express hatred, they express love. And where people who don't get along in the world can find a place they do get along in the church. Do you see how godly living, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of God's people, is inviting to our neighbors? And could cause someone to say, I'd rather live in that world. I'd rather experience what you experience. I'd rather live life, life on those terms than on the terms I'm living them now. Christian living, godly living, is attractive to unbelievers for those reasons. And when we live those things out, our neighbors might come to Christ through those means. Right, that they see how we live, that we see how we hope, we see how we love, and ask, what makes the difference? And then we can come and say, well, I'll tell you what I used to be like. I lived life in malice and envy, hating each other and hating one another. No one wants to come to that church. But then God came and he changed me. He washed me. He made me new. I was renewed by the one who redeemed me. That will have a function and the more we worry about the darkness of the world around us, the more we can think about how our light can shine. And so we want to live those lives so people see that there is a different world. There's a better world. That there is an outpost of that better world in this sin-cursed one. Um, and that we encourage people to be a part of it. Um, we, we can extend hope to the world just by how we live and how we love. Just by doing these things that are pleasing to God and to make them say, that's a people that I want to be a part of. Even if they don't initially understand what makes us different. Which is only the grace and the mercy and the activity of God. Um, good works are necessary for part of our salvation. right? In that sense that there's no salvation without them. Um, there is no salvation without good works. There's just no such thing. Um, I think question 87 wants to drive that home to us. 
Um, we often, we often want to make sure that we say to people, this is no excuse for easy living, uh, for easy believism that re- results in any kind of life. Right? If that's what we think the gospel is representing to us, we've gone way off the mark. Um, if we think what the gospel is representing to us is believe in Jesus and then live however you want to live. Um, Paul faced that challenge and said, is that what I'm saying? By no means. And why is that? Um, because scripture makes it very clear. Question 87, the answer just quotes scripture, but it asks, can those be saved who do not turn from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways? By no means. Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like will inherit the kingdom of heaven. James meant it when he said faith without works is dead. There's no such thing. And if you want to see what faith looks like in the lives of people, it will always be proven genuine by the faith it produces. When James uses the word justified, he means proven genuine. Abraham was proven genuine by the things he did. Rahab was proven genuine by the things that she did. It proved that that faith was alive. And so we never, as God's people, want to say good works have no place in Christian life. You can't be saved without them. Not because they're the basis of faith, but because they will always be the fruit of a true faith. Um, And so we want to think about more about good works and more about the renewing work of the Spirit in coming weeks. But I hope we've seen that we do have a big place for good works, that we do believe that we've been saved by grace through faith for good works, for God's glory, that we might show our thankfulness to him, that we might be assured of our faith by its fruits, and that by our godly living, we might win our neighbors over to Christ. May God's Spirit continue to renew us after his image that we might glorify his name. Amen.